covenant. Like there's the Davidic covenant where he promises David that, you know, the, the Savior of the world is going to come through his lineage, right? And so we learn that God, he initiates these covenants. You know, it's not us. Man doesn't approach God and say, hey, let's strike up a deal, God. I have this deal for you, God. You know, like, you know, come over here and let's talk. God initiates these covenants with the people. And, and, uh, and we learn that not only does God uh, swear to bless his people through Abraham, but he takes the oath to not only fulfill the blessing of the covenant, but he takes the oath to, to actually uh, take on the curse of the covenant. Even, if, even if, if God fails to bless Abraham, he says, I will, I will, you know, I, I will uh, be ripped apart. And I'm going to talk about this later, but, but he says that even if you fail, even if Abraham fails, even if the people of God fail, God says that I will be torn to pieces. And God promises him, Abraham, that he's going to bless him. And Abraham asks him, like, well, how do I know that you will bless him? And there's a scene in uh, Genesis 15 where there's a, a covenant signing ceremony. Right? This is what they did back then. Back then, you know, if, if somebody wanted to make a covenant with somebody else, like a lord would make a covenant with like a servant, the servant would take animals and cut them up into pieces and line them up. And then the, the lord would have him walk through the pieces, like saying the terms of the covenant. Right? And basically it's saying that if you don't fulfill the terms of this covenant, this is what's going to become of you. You're going to be torn apart. Right? You're going to be cut into pieces if you do not uh, fulfill the terms of the covenant. And Abraham, knowing this, he, he prepares everything, but then the person that actually goes through the covenant is God. Right? He goes, he walks through the pieces, and in and, and, and the end, God doesn't ask Abraham to walk through the pieces, right? which is basically God taking responsibility for both of the sides of the covenant, saying like, hey, Right? If I don't bless you, I'm going to be torn into pieces. And even if you don't fulfill the terms of the covenant, I'm going to be torn into pieces. And, and we see this uh, is the covenant. This is the heart of the covenant. This is like the central theme of the Bible. And we know later on that it's Jesus Christ. He's the one that is torn into pieces, literally. Uh, as, as he fulfills the covenant, he lived the perfect life. Um, you know, there's no sin in him. And so he did, he fulfilled the terms of the covenant in his righteousness, but he also took on the curse of the covenant. Right? Because he's, he's not supposed to receive this. If, you know, if, if, I, you know, if I fulfill the terms of a contract, right, I'm not supposed to be penalized, right? And I, would, I would be pissed if that happened, right? If, like, you know, like there's all these contracts that we sign every day, and if, if KT called me and said, hey, I'm going to penalize you because, uh, you, know, you know, you've been a faithful customer, and I'd be like, what the heck? You know, like, <laughs> you know, that's not the way that it works. But Jesus... He was the perfect. He was the perfect man. Right? He was. A, he was God. He lived the perfect life. So he 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 fulfilled the the, the terms of the covenant. And he, he he got the blessing, but then he actually takes on the curse of the covenant by hanging on a cross, um, and to die. And we realize that that is all for us. It's for our benefit, and we are able to have the blessing and you know not have the curse because of what Christ has done. And we talked about, you know, how um, he became the new covenant. And we read it today, you know, that he is, his blood is the new covenant. He fulfills the old covenant, and he takes on the curse of the covenant. In the Old Testament, it talks about the new covenant uh, probably only really one time it actually uses the word new covenant, and it's in Jeremiah 31. Um, and I'll read it to you guys. It's 31, verse 31. Uh, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write in it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Um, this is this is uh, in the old. Now, now this is God presenting this new covenant to the people of Israel, but it didn't actually become reality until Jesus came, right? And we read in Luke 22 is the chapter that uh, it's the passage that we read today. In other places in the gospel and other books in the New Testament, Jesus gathers his disciples at the Last Supper, and he has this. It's almost like a covenant ceremony. It's like it's like a covenant recommitment ceremony that Jesus has, um, and he and he prepares. Uh, you know, it's, he has it during Passover, and so you know they're celebrating the liberation of the, the people of Israel from Egypt, and they're having this Passover or dinner, and then Jesus Christ he establishes the new covenant, um, and he tells them about the new covenant that's that's about to happen. We read it earlier, and it says. Um, you know, earlier in this chapter, you know, Jesus, he asked them to prepare uh, the, the, the Passover lamb, um, which is a part of the, the Passover meal. And then um, they recline at the table and, they, they're, you know, and it says that uh, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying this is this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Right? And Jesus He's telling the people of God um, through his, his, his disciples the coming of the new covenant, right? The old covenant, right? It's not like, you know, it's a continuation, but it's a new way that God is choosing to deal and relate to his people. Uh, and, and this is Jesus and the disciples are having this Passover meal. And in the Jewish tradition, this was the people, they're remembering the liberation of the people of Israel from Egypt by the hand of God. Um, they would sacrifice what's called the Paschal Lamb, right? You guys know about the story of Egypt. Um, they, God had them sacrifice a lamb, and they take the blood and, and you know, smear it on the doorpost so that the angel of the Lord would pass those houses and, and, and the, the firstborn son would not be killed. Um, and so this is a celebration of that, and it's, it's a very significant um, tradition that is in the Jewish community even till now. You know, they, they, they celebrate Passover. They call it cedar, Passover cedar, Seder. Um, and, uh, you know, they have all of these different part, like meals that they would eat. They would drink four glasses of wine, right? And uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure this wasn't, these wine, this wine they had back then was not as strong as um, the wine that they have now. Uh, but each glass would represent an expression of God's freedom, right? It says, God says, I will take you out. I will rescue you. Uh, I will redeem you. I will take you as a nation. These are the four statements that God makes uh, before Exodus uh, about how God is going to bring freedom and liberation into their lives. And, and then they would recline at the table. And this sounds kind of insignificant, but well, back then, only free people were able to recline at the table. I do it all the time, right? When I'm at a restaurant, I'm, I'm with this bar stool, I just like kick it like this. I'm all leaning to the side. But it, they did that not because they were lazy, but it was a sign of their freedom, of their liberation. Right? 
Um, and then they would eat bitter herbs, and they would represent the bitterness of slavery that the people endured for 400 years in Egypt. And then they would le- eat unleavened bread, right? Um, you know, I think it's called matzah. Who's had that before, right? Um, it's, uh, it's unleavened bread, and it actually symbolizes, symbolizes the rapid departure of the people of Egypt. So you know that you know, Pharaoh said, okay, go, finally, after the 10 plagues, like, just go, get out of here. And they had to like, literally just like, pick up everything and get out of there quickly. Um, and it's a sign of the, the bread not having time to rise. And then we see it in Deuteronomy 16. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. So they would eat unleavened bread, and, and, and this is the sign. This was um, God commanded this, the people of Israel to celebrate Passover in this way every year as a commemoration of their liberation from Egypt and as a tradition reaffirming God's like overarching covenant over the people of God um, and the people of Israel. And then Jesus chooses this time to establish the new covenant that he would make with the people of God. And we see it, that he is the lamb that is slain for us. Right? He is the sacrificial lamb um, that shed the blood. You know, the, the, the lamb back in Egypt, they, that, that, that lamb that was slaughtered and, and the door was covered with his blood, that, that, is a, that is a sign of what was to come, which is Jesus Christ, slain for our salvation. And he breaks the bread and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, you know, back in John 6, Jesus talks about that he is the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger, um, will never hunger again. And then he was broken for us. His body was literally broken for us. And then Jesus takes the wine and he offers it to his disciple. And he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we we become partakers of the new covenant, right? He fulfills all of the terms of the old covenant, not only the blessings, but also the curse. And he establishes a new covenant that in the shedding of his blood, whoever calls on him will have eternal life, will, ha- will be saved from, from eternal separation from God. And for us, people that are on this side of the cross, right, we're on the, 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 the side of the cross where we have, you know, salvation and grace, right, this new covenant is very important to us. It's, a, it's fully based on the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And we understand that this is the covenant that Jesus chooses to have with us. And it changes everything for us. It's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant of love. It's a covenant of mercy. We, he comes down and meets us where we are. We're in our sins. And he tells us that he will be with us forever based on not what we do, but based on what he's already done. That's the new covenant. He said, I'm making this promise with you, right? You know, like, like I'm going to be with you. And I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you forever. I'm going to save you. And it's not based on what you, what you do. It's based on everything is based on what I have already done for you. And he gives us the Holy Spirit so that in Christ we are redeemed and we're sanctified. And, and he becomes our freedom. He becomes our, we're free from sin. We're free from the powers of sin, the condemnation of sin. And, 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 the, and, the, and the wages of sin, we're free from that. And so we're able to live a life that is, that is in line with him and, and obedience and in love with him. 
So he becomes the Passover lamb, and this is the new covenant. And for us, the church, as the body of Christ, we must see ourselves as people of covenant. We are people of promise. Right? Galatians 2.23, it says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to promise. And so we are heirs according to promise. We're heirs according to covenant. We become heirs of Abraham, right? And all of the blessings that God had promised, it comes through covenant. And here's my main point for the sermon today is that as we are in covenant relationship with Jesus, his people are in covenant relationship with each other. We have to keep this in mind and we have to understand this. And our church and our paradigm and, and how we see one another in the body of Christ, this radically changes it. We become his people. We have to view ourselves not in the individualistic understanding of the world, but the way that God sees us as people in his covenant community. Our covenant relationship with Christ brings us into covenant relationship with the body of Christ. Now, I have a covenant relationship with my kids, right? I have a covenant relationship with Ethan, and I have a covenant relationship with Ezra. Right? There's a, a covenant between I am your father and you're my son. Right? But because there's a covenant relationship that I have with each of them, there's a covenant relationship that they have with each other. As Ethan grows older and he gets bigger, and Ezra gets older, they will always have this covenant relationship. They'll always be brothers. Now, they might fight. And, you know, they might get angry with each other, but in the end, they will always have this relationship between them. And this is the understanding of covenant relationship that will radically transform and shape our relationships that we have with each other. John Piper says it like this. A local number of believers come together to form a church. They are to think something like this. We are bound to God by the new covenant. And not only that, since we are bound to God by that covenant, we are bound to each other by that covenant too. The covenant that makes us belong to God makes us belong to each other. Therefore, our commitment to each other in a local church is a covenant commi commitment. Our covenant relationship to God implies a covenant relationship to each other. God's covenant with us creates and shapes our covenant with each other. And so how does a covenant relationship with Jesus shape our relationship in the body of Christ, right, in the local church? How does this understanding shape the dynamics and the way that the church is and, and how are we to see each other? And the number one thing is the covenant relationship means that we belong to one another. We are a family. We have to understand this, that we belong to each other. The covenant brings us together as a family. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So God tells us through his word that as people who have, been, who have the spirit of God, we are of, children of God, and we receive the spirit of the adoptions as sons, and we cry, Abba, Father. So we all have the same father. We all cry out to the same father. We all cry out, Abba, Father, you're God, God the Father. And as God's children, we are bound to each other as a family. Now, Ethan and Ezra, they have the same parents, and so they're, they're, they're family with each other, right? They're, they're brothers. And because of that, their relationship with each other is like no other relationship that they will have with any other person. Ethan has a friend that he likes to talk about a lot at his school, right? I forget what his name is, but he always talks about this guy. What's his name? Like Shigi or something? I mean, they all talk, and he's really close with his friend, and, and he has a whole, it's weird because our kids have a whole life, like like it, big chunks of life that I have no idea what they do, right? It kind of amazes me, right, that, that they're able to have this kind of like freedom and, and, and liberation. But, you know, he talks about this friend all the time, and, and I have no idea who he is, and yet, and he's really close with them, but he will never, like they will never get so close that they're going to be, like they can actually be brothers. Because there's a covenant that binds Ethan and Ezra together. They will always be family. And it's this kind of dynamic that Jesus brings his covenant community into. One of family with the relationships that are committed to one another. The type of relationship that God wants for his people are not consumer relationships. Right? I'm going to go to this church as long as they meet my needs. As long as you know they sing the type of song that I like to sing. But as soon as someone wants to try and tell me what to do, I'm out. Right? Peace out. I'm gone. Right? And there's a lot of people like that out there. They go from church to church. And I was somebody like this. Long time ago in America, I would go from church to church, hopping on every few months. They don't commit. They don't get involved. And ultimately, they get out of that community what they've put in. And when you talk with them, they're very critical of churches. They're like, oh, like, you know, I don't like their praise. I don't like... Their sermons, their preacher is too fat, preacher's too old, right? He's too young, or there's not enough girls, or there's not enough boys. We've all heard that, right? But what they fail to realize is that there is no perfect church. You guys all have to realize, there's no perfect church. Every church you go to, you're going to have something, there's going to be some person there that's going to annoy you. There's going to be some aspect of that church that you're not going to jive with. Right? There is no such thing as a perfect church. But God might be leading you to that church so that you know that they that you that you might not necessarily like, but he has a plan, a lesson for you at that place, and you're never gonna figure it out until you stick around. Right? Stick around long enough to find out what God wants to do for you in that community. Because, you know, and they never get to find out because they have they have these consumer mindsets, right? But the church isn't a place where you just go to receive or just to take. But it's, it's a place where you go to belong. It's a place where you go to sow. It's a place where you go to commit, to ask God how you can be used in this place for the kingdom of God. It's a place where you seek to find deep and meaningful relationships that God wants you to experience to help you in the race that he has for you. When God saved you, he didn't save you as this like lone wolf Christian staying at home and 
doing everything, you know, like I, I just, you know, I go to Bedside Baptist, right? I just worship on my bedside on Sunday morning, right? But God saves you into the body of Christ, and the, and the representation of the body of Christ in this world is the local church. Right? And, and we're supposed to have these deep, meaningful relationships within the family of God, and, and that's what's going to shape us. That's what's going to sharpen us, right? Like, like, you know, like every time that, you know, sharpening is, when you sharpen something, there has to be resistance and there has to be friction, right? Who's, who's sharpened something before, right? right? Those things are not, it's not like, you're not like sharp, you never, you don't sharpen something on glass, it's all smooth. It's something that's like, it's, it's rough, it edges, and there's friction there, and then you need to, you need that friction and that, that, that tension there for something to get sharp. Well, every time that God wants to sharpen you, right, and you feel some of that friction, you're like, I'm out! Right? You're never going to get those edges sharpened up. You never, the aspect of your character that God wants to bring out is never going to come out because every time you feel some kind of friction, every time you feel some kind of like, uh, like obstacle or, or some, somebody trying to hold you accountable, you're saying, I'm out. Right? And all of a sudden, right, you continue to live your lives with those, with those edges sticking out. And you know, you've met people like that, right? It's like everything about them is fine, but there's one part of them there just you go like, oh. God needs to sanctify you in that area, right? But but it's because of this consumer mindset of people going to church to just just to take and just to receive, right? And then not to you know they don't take the time to really like go in and take their place in the family. And as a family, it's a place where we it's a place of encouragement and accountability. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to keep each other accountable, right? Keep each other accountable and encourage each other. In the body of Christ. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person has great power and is as, as it is working. I hate that translation. <laughs> That's an ESV. But I like that the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. Right? Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Hebrews 10.25 not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Ephesians 5.21, this is very hard for some people, but submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As a family, we bear each other's burdens. Who are those savages? Galatians 6, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you to be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are to bear one another's burdens. Encourage one another. Keep each other accountable. Ephesians 4.2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. As a family, right, we're supposed, this is the, the type of relationship that we're supposed to have in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.3 right, We're supposed to fight for relationship. It says eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Like we, have to, like we have to be eager to try to like stay connected and stay unified because family means we don't give up on each other. Right? That, that little guy right there, he, I know he's cute as heck, but he could drive me insane. Right? And there's times where I feel like I just want to leave him at the store. 
and go, right? I can't do that, right? And that's what family is, is that we don't give up on each other. We fight to stay united. Jesus in John 17, this is like the last real prayer. He prays this prayer. It's only recorded in John because I believe that John, being one of Jesus' closest you know, disciples and you know, the one that Jesus loved, was actually able to hear this prayer that Jesus prayed. And in John 17, he's like, like, help them to be one as you and you are you and I are one, right? Like the one thing that Jesus prays for before he goes and, and is crucified is like help them to be united, help them to be one, help them to be find the oneness that we have with each other. And so a covenant relationship means we belong to one another as a family, we stay unified. Right? And that's my heart for New Philly Detox. That you know, although we're a small community, right, and it might be hard because it's harder to be vulnerable in smaller settings. If it's like a huge church, right, you could just get mixed up in the hustle and not everybody's going to know you. And you just, you know, you go into a small group and you bare your soul and you fit in. And it's, like, it's not that hard. But in a small community like this, it can actually be a little intimidating because you know, everybody kind of knows everyone. And But what I want to create is a safe place for us to be ourselves and to be vulnerable that we can create these deep, intimate relationships that God wants us to have. For us to tear down the walls that we put up and to engage in true covenant relationship. Because I believe that God brought you here for that purpose. All of us here for that purpose. And there may be lessons for you here. There might be things that God wants to bless you through this church. And there's things that God wants to use you in to bless this church. You know, like you might be here so that you can bless me. You might be here that you can bless Molly or like, you know, like the people in this community. You can't find out unless you become vulnerable and you take your place of connection. And the thing is, people want connection. I preached a sermon a long time ago about rats and connection. I think you guys might have heard it. But there was this experiment that happened like a long time ago with rats and drugs. And and they would get these rats hooked on cocaine. And then, uh, and then they would like, you know, see what happens. And, and if they're when they're in this environment where there's like no other rats, right? Right. All they do is just click that button, and they just get high and high and high and high, and they would die. Right? But then they would get these rats hooked on cocaine, and they would put them in an environment where they were able to have cocaine. But then they would create all of these different like fun things for rats to do, and they would put other rats in that environment that were not connect like like hooked on cocaine. And then they would like, you know, like have like little places where they could play and little wheels that they could run on and like all these different kinds of things. And the rats that were hooked on cocaine would slowly wean themselves off of it because they would they realized that this community they had with each other was more important than them getting high. Right? That's a rat's brain, right? But God, I, I believe that God created animals and us, like human beings, in this way for us to have connection and community. And one of the things that people out there are all looking for is connection. And they go to like clubs and they go to the bar and, and what they want is to find some kind of connection that is meaningful. But you got to understand that for us to have real connection and meaningful connection, there has to be commitment. There's no such thing as a meaningful relationship without commitment. Right? There isn't. Right? You can't have a meaningful relationship with anybody without some kind of commitment being there. I'll give you an example. It's fantasy sports, right? I play fantasy sports. There's a good number of us from our church in Seoul that we get together. And w- the one thing that we hate is when somebody starts to lose and they just give up, right? Because there's like 10 spots. And then because like three of them are, are like not 
like they don't want to they don't want to they're losing and so they don't want to like keep up and so they just stop playing altogether. That's the worst thing about fantasy sports. And so at the beginning we make this commitment to each other. We will not do that, right? We will we will not give up. Even if my record right now is like 2 and 5. I'm last place. I'm still not giving up because I made this commitment to stay in this relationship till the end so that it is meaningful, not just for me, but for the other people, right? Because that's the worst thing is like when you're playing and you're winning and everybody else quits, you're just like, oh, this, it, there's less meaning there. But, but if everybody is in it till the end and there is that commitment there, it's so meaningful when you win. And even if you lose, it's still meaningful. That, I don't know if you guys know what fantasy sports are, but you just take stats from sports and you just you compete with each other and try to win. Right? But in any kind of relationship without commitment, with some kind of commitment, it really is meaningless. That's why, like, so many people that go out to the bars and they, you know, they hook up, you know, like if you examine their lives, their lives feel empty. They might have all these different people that they're spending nights with and connecting with. All the, at the end of the day. What they have is just a, like a bunch of like, you know, one night things. And then in the end, there is no meaningful connection that they're able to have. Because there's no commitment there. Without commitment, there is no true relationship. And so what I want for this community is I want us to be committed to one another, committed to this church, committed so that as we become vulnerable, we're actually able to encourage and keep each other accountable and help each other and be a blessing right, to one another and advance this kingdom of God together. Right? So number one uh, is that, you know, it, it, we're a family of God. The covenant relationship brings us into a family of God. Number two, the covenant relationship means that we're all shaped, shaped by the characteristics of the covenant. The heart of the covenant that Jesus makes with us is marked by the characteristics of Christ. Jesus made this covenant, so this covenant is, is like the heart of this covenant is like Jesus. And as a representation of the body of Christ, we are to be shaped by the characteristics of Christ and the promises that he has for us. The heart of the covenant that Christ makes with us is love. The covenant was made because of what? Because he wanted to? Right? Because like, cause, cause, you know, he felt responsible? No. The covenant was made. The new covenant was made because of love. And he caused his body to love one another at Thank you, Claire. Sorry. <laughs> you jumped ahead there. Uh, John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Jesus says, When the world sees the church, they will know that we are from him. And the basis of how they will know is that we love one another. So what shapes the relationships that we have in the church has to be love. This is the greatest commandment that Jesus gives us. Is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. And the second is like it. Love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because when you do this, you fulfill all of the Old Testament and all of the prophets and all of the, the, the things that came before. All of that, right, it boils down to this. Loving God and loving each other. 1 Thessalonians 3.11 Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that we, he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the beginning of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. The relationship in the church 
should be one that is driven by love. But how does the world view the church today? When you look at the news, when you look at the TV show, when you look at media out there, how does the world view the church? Judgmental, unloving, legalistic. And we have all of this division and dissension amongst all of the different churches out there. I believe it's because the church has forgotten what it is to be in covenant. That there is a covenant responsibility that we have to represent Christ well. And to be shaped by the promises that he has made with us. And out of that sacrificial love that Christ displayed for us, he leads us to true connection. He leads us to true kindness. He leads us to patience and generosity. He shapes us and he forms us. The promises that he's made for us should be transforming the way that we deal with each other. To have a sense of responsibility and accountability in how the body of Christ is represented. This covenant relationship. Now, in our family, uh, there's you know those families that are like, like even though you may live in another country, you're still a representation of that family. You're still a representation of, of, of the connection that you have with each other. And, and, and in that covenant, we have to realize that we are covenanted into the body of Christ. And we have to represent the body of Christ. And we have to represent Christ well. And the way that we do that is through love. And so the covenant relationship means that we're shaped by the characteristics of the covenant. We're shaped by what created this covenant, which is love. Love one another. Right? To be led by love. And, it, and it's hard to do this, guys. Loving one another is one of the hardest things to do out there, right? But then God says, right, this is, this, is, this is the two things that I put you in charge with, right? Love me and then love each other. He doesn't say make a lot of money for the kingdom of God. He doesn't say like you know go and you know like he, what he says is love God and love one another because if you do that well, you're gonna start to do everything well. You're gonna start to evangelize well. You're gonna if you truly love people the way that you're supposed to love God, your heart's gonna go out and you're gonna reach the lost. You're gonna seek after the brokenhearted. Right? It starts with the characteristic of love. And then third, covenant relationship means that we are united in purpose. We are united in the purpose that we have on this earth. Uh, you guys, the purpose that God establishes you in is not for you to have a nice job, a nice family, you know, to own a car and a house and maybe a dog. Right? That's, that's not the purpose that God put you on this world for. Our purpose is to make much of Jesus Christ. Our purpose is to, 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 to exalt and worship God. Exalt his name and show the world to every nation and every tongue that Jesus is who he says he is, how that he is truly is amazing. And as a church, we have to be united in that purpose of that kingdom come that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what happens when we gather as a covenant community. We don't come here to hang out, we don't come here to have dinner afterwards. Right? That's all part that's a part of it, but we gather so that we can do the one thing that God has purpose for his body to do, which is to worship God. And, and that's what happens. Every Sunday, as we gather as a church, in churches all around the world, we gather together to worship God and to do the one thing that will never end. Worshiping God. You know, football is going to end. Rugby will end. <laughs> By the way, tonight we're gonna, there's the rug, rugby championship, semi-championships at 
South Africa's in the semifinals, and we're going to watch it at our house. If you're into a rugby and want to join us, you guys can. Um, but, you know, right now is the, is, the, is the sweet spot of sports, right? It's like, like in, in America, you know, for, for the guys, it really is. It's like, you know, baseball is coming to an end, but it's the, exci- it's the only exciting part of baseball, right, which is like, you know, at the end. And then, ba- you know, we're in the heart of football season, and we're in the heart of it, we just started the basketball season, and then, you know, the hockey season just started. This is really is that sweet spot. But all of that's going to come to an end. Not just the season, but but foot. There is going to be a day in the future where nobody, the football doesn't exist, basketball doesn't exist. You know, Stranger Things will no longer be. All of those K-pop dramas are no longer going to be. Right? Yeah, I'm into that as well, right? All of the great TV shows and the K-pop, all that's going to come to an end, right? But every Sunday we do the one thing that will last eternally to worship God. And the covenant relationship that we have with Jesus brings us into this covenant relationship that exalts his name together. And we have to value this. When you are here, you're taking part. Yes, you can you know, miss a Sunday and just like maybe worship at home. But ultimately, gathering like this exalts Christ. And then, then, and this is the way that it's always. Jesus says, "Gather together." You know, in the Bible, it says, "Gather." Like, like, don't like stop gathering like others have have been doing, but gather together and encourage one another as you see the uh, the coming, the approach of Jesus Christ's return. But you know, this is what we're going to be doing unto eternity, as a covenant community. We're joined together as we exalt the name of Jesus together. We're joined in this, co- in this relationship. And as we are in a covenant co- like community that is joined by covenant, we do the thing that Jesus entrusted us to do before he ascended to heaven. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. As a covenant community, as a com- community of believers that are, are together through the covenant that Jesus makes with us, we are united in this purpose of expanding and pursuing and, and following and, and fulfilling the great command, the, the, the great commandment of to evangelize, right? This purpose brings us together. This covenant that brings true meaning into our lives. This covenant that establishes our identity. There's so many people out there. You know, tr- they're doing all of these crazy things to try to like, you know, have some form of identity, right? Like they go out there and they try all these different things and they dress a certain way. You know, they dress all hipster and wear like rainbow belts and all these different things and you know, mustaches that flare out like this. And like, you know, they do all these things to try to find their identity and yet you know, they don't know who they are, but then the covenant relationship that Jesus makes with us tells us exactly what we are. We are children of God, established into the body of Christ by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our identity. We get our identity from that. That has to be where we get our identity. It's not from the jobs that we have. right? It's not from all of the things that you know we like to do, the hobbies that we have. We don't get our identity just because we like rugby, right? We get our identity from the covenant relationship that Jesus Christ 
made with us as he went to the cross and said, you know what, I'm dying on the cross so that you could be this. I'm going to hang on this cross so that you can be in this relationship with me. That's where we get our identity. And covenant says that we belong to each other. We walk together. We encourage one another. We bear each other's burdens. We love. And we keep each other accountable in love. Brothers and sisters, our church can be tough sometimes because we live in a very transient community. Right? A lot of people come and go. A lot of people come to Korea for a few years and they go. And, and it could be a very difficult. And I know some of us have been with us for a long time. It's been tough to see people go. And it's tough when you do go. Right? Colleen's going. And I, it's not just for us. It's hard for us to see her go, but it's also hard for her to go as well, right? It's a, it's a tough community to be a part of. But that doesn't mean that we can't be committed while we are here. The, 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 the few years that Colleen was here in this church made a difference in this community. It made a difference in the lives of the people in this church. It doesn't mean that we can't be committed while we're here, take our place to see what God wants to do here in the times that you are here, what kind of relationships that God wants for you, what kind of, you know, the way that he wants to shape you and form you in your time here. It may, if it's not this church, another church, but there needs to be commitment for you to be able to get all that God wants for you from your seasons here, wherever you are. I told you earlier, there's the meaning, meaningful things in our lives come with commitment reason why the most meaningful relationship that I have with a human being is with Mina is because there's a true commitment there. I've committed to live the rest of my life tied to her, connected with her, to serve her. Very demanding, guys. But it's the most meaningful relationship because there is commitment. I want this church to be a safe place for all of us to feel, be able to be vulnerable, to be ourselves, to be accepted and loved, a place where we can belong and walk out in our spiritual giftings. And the foundation of all of this isn't something that is man-made, but it's a foundation that it is under all of this is a covenant that Jesus Christ made with us on the cross. As he hung on that cross, he shed his blood so that we can be the body of Christ. That's the heart of this message. Jesus Christ hung on that cross. He shed his blood and he died on the cross for us so that we can be this body of Christ. That's, that's, that's beautiful. And we have to take that seriously. Jesus died on the cross for us to be the body of Christ. We've got to take the body of Christ seriously. We've got to take relationships here seriously. We've got to take our part in this seriously. It's because it's sealed by the blood of Christ. Because this cup is a new covenant. This, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. And he offers it to us. As he offers his body to us. That was broken on that cross. His body was broken so that we can be together as the body of Christ. Let's all stand up. And we'll close with prayer.